Thanks for listening to the Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a series called Kingdom Skills, Getting Good at Knowing God. And in this sermon series, we discuss the skills we need to develop for life in God's kingdom. That's a life that can hear God's voice and do God's will, and it is exactly the kind of life you were made for. Everything worth doing takes practice, and following Jesus is no different. So let's dig in and sharpen our kingdom skills together. Be sure to check us out at tablechurchdsm.org, and please never be afraid to reach out. Thanks, and enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Table Church. My name is Trevor Zelensky. I serve on the tech team here, and uh, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles as we look at Scripture. Uh, If you guys need a Bible, raise your hand. There's some Bibles in the back. The ushers will bring you one. Uh, If you don't own a Bible or would like to keep it, feel free. Um, Take it home and and study it. Um, Today's scripture comes from the book of John, uh, chapter 14. We're going to read verses 5 through 7 and 15 through 18. Verses 5 through 7 say, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Verses 15 through 18 say, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Trevor. I think Trevor introduced himself and said a bit about what he does, but Trevor's one of those people who secretly does a lot of stuff that nobody ever sees. So thank you, Trevor. It's just a, a one big thank you for all the things that you do. Thank you so much. So welcome to Table Church, everybody. My name is Megan Cook. I'm the discipleship pastor. It's great to see all of you here today. Um, we have uh, one big question that I kind of want to start with today that I think will be relatable for all of us. Have you ever just felt desperate to hear from God? Have you ever just felt desperate to know, to feel like it's true that God is with you and that God is speaking and that you can hear him and you're pretty sure you've got most of the message translated properly, right? Have you ever just been desperate to hear from God? Have you ever felt abandoned or incredibly lonely? Or does it ever feel like God is silent? So if that's you, if you've felt that desperation, if you've ever felt like you have personally messed up your own life by choice so much, you're not sure if you can even get back to God, if you've ever been in that kind of desperate situation, today is for you. And everybody else can just go. This is me. Okay. Today is for us. Today is for those of us who really resonate with that. If you've ever been disoriented or dismayed or discouraged, the ones who know what's right but don't always feel like any of it's true, that's for you today. All right. If you want to know anything about who you are in relationship to God, look at Jesus and his relationship with God, okay? Whatever Jesus is and whatever Jesus has, that is your guide, all right? Look at what Jesus 
has. If you're a child of God, you have that too, right? Now, in our passage for today, Jesus is with his disciples, and the cross is getting closer and closer, and Jesus is taking care of business. He's getting things ready, and time is short. He's leaving his instructions for his disciples and helping them see beyond right now into the future, helping them get ready for that. And Thomas can see that Jesus is on a mission, and Thomas wants to keep up, right? And now Jesus starts talking about this amazing house that his father has. All right, then it's got many rooms, but there's a specific place for him there. And that Jesus is going to leave, and he's going to go there to this house, and then he's going to come back, and he's going to bring the disciples along. And Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas is like, no, actually, I don't know the way. Lord, we don't know where we're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, no, 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 you do know the way because I am the way. It's not a map. It's a person, me, through me, okay? With me, you access the whole beautiful house just like I do, not by being good or being right or being on time, but by being with the Father. That's how you find it. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Jesus, he's not the Father. He is with the Father. And with the Father, he's got the whole house. Everything that the Father has is his. It's uncorrupted connection, always aware of it, always plugged into the power source of God himself. Jesus is telling his disciples, everything we've been doing here, everything you've seen me do, everything you've gotten to do in my name, it's all through the power of God. It's all the Father, generous, potent power that flows through relationship. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Everything we've been doing here, whether you understand it or not, you can smell it, disciples. This is God's business. Now, there's power in this connection to God. Jesus is about the Father's business. He's walking and talking and doing life with God. And Jesus tells his disciples that if they believe in him, they'll do even greater things than what they've done so far, what they've seen so far. And if they love him, they'll do what he says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's the promise. The Father and the Son and the Spirit of truth, you know them. They're with you and they will be in you. And it sounds a little bit cryptic to the disciples. They don't really understand it, but Jesus is also being explicit here, utterly explicit. To know Jesus is to know God, and in that relationship, With the Father, we tap into potent, pure, creative, life-giving power. And that power is meant to flow from the Father through us into the world. That is kingdom vision for your life today, right? God is not holding out on any of us. You are in the presence of greatness right here, right here where you sit. There is a God present here in the room greater than we can think or imagine. And if you know God, if you know the Father, you are born into that greatness too. 
You are not in a waiting room. Your life is extraordinary right now. Right now. The world might treat you like garbage sometimes. But Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you because I live. You also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. This beautiful continuity of relationship. Are you desperate to feel like that's actually true? To make the journey from knowing that's true to actually feeling like it's true and seeing evidence of it in your life. Because Jesus is in the room. You don't have to wait. You already have everything Jesus does. You already do. Hashtag blessed. This is a series about kingdom skills. We're talking about how to get good at knowing God. And this whole message is about how to walk with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit of God, your advocate, your helper, the Holy Ghost. My friend Amy describes people as ghosty. So if you're talking about somebody, she'll say, oh, he's ghosty. Or she's real ghosty, right? And she means this is a person that just has, like, the power of God on them. Like, if you need to hear a word from the Lord or if you need a broken bone fixed... If you need anything from God, you go be around that person. Because when you're around them, you just see stuff happen. All right? There just seems to be some extra power there. And for as many times as I've heard Amy describe somebody like that, I always secretly hope that's how she talks about me when I'm not there. I hope she calls me ghosty. I want to be ghosty like that. Do you want to be ghosty too? Do you want to be one of those people who just walks in the spirit and, and the power of God is familiar to you, and you just see things happen in the world that clearly come straight from the power source itself. Do you want stuff? Here's what we need to know and move on. Walking with the Spirit requires discerning the presence of God and receiving his power. Both. How often do you want to hear from God? How often do you want to see God move? All right, probably often, I'm going to guess, all of you in the room here today, wherever you're at in life, you probably want it to be normal, often, every day. Right? We want hearing from God to be kind of like Mufasa showing up in the clouds, right? Simba, right? That's what we want. We want God to just show up. We want to see his face. We want to hear his voice. It would be preferable if he speaks in English, that is intelligible to us, that is what we want, all right? And be very convenient. It's not how it usually works. God is quieter and simpler than that. But let's just stop for a minute, and we're going to review the plot of the Lion King for a second. So Simba, he hears the voice of his dad up in the clouds, right? And he reconnects to that purpose, that power he needs to go back and defeat Scar and set things right and claim his birthright, right? Okay? And the secret to all of that was just to remember what he already had, who he already was, right? This is the same thing for us. Okay, we don't need anything new. We just need to get reconnected to what we already have, who we already are. Right? Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Everything Jesus does is a flow of power from the Father. And he says in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Listen, for all we say about God being silent, I think most of us do know that he is speaking in some way. 
God can be found. Okay? We just don't always want to find him because we don't always want to face what God might say. All right? Because if you honor that God is present and that God is speaking, then you're going to have to follow through with what you see and hear. Okay? For disciples, hearing means doing. They're the same thing. You can't separate them. The character of God shouts in Scripture. The Father's heart is knowable. You may not always know exactly what to do, but you do know who to be. You do. And mysteriously, once you know who you are, the actions flow on their own for the most part. Walking with the Spirit flows from connection, not knowledge. That's good news. Okay. You don't have to know much. You just know the Father through the Son. You're empowered by the Spirit. It's not your knowledge. It's not performance. It's the relationship to the Father that is the source. God's voice comes with his power always. Seek the Lord to contend with every lying voice inside of you that leads you to believe that you have to drum up the ability to obey God on your own, all right? God's word is power. When you receive a word from the Lord, you've already received the power to follow through. Paul wrote, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's power. You aren't just trading intellectual thoughts with God. God's word is power to demolish strongholds and bring the kingdom. Power is not portioned to us to accomplish the will of God. The power is just always on. Look at it in a practical way. You don't have to pray and ask God to give you strength or patience or love for someone or in a situation. You already have it. It's more about connecting to who God is and who you are and to get aware of anything that is not God that is in the way. Because that's already there. Everything you need is already there. You don't need to get a new batch to keep moving. John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask, the, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God is not feeding you power bites from a spoon. Right? If you're in Christ, you are attached. You are growing straight out of the vine. In Christ, we don't strive. We abide. Always. You can't be just a little bit on the vine. You're either on or you're not. Okay? If life hasn't felt that way, it can. God is here and the power is on. And if you can't see evidence of the Spirit, it does not mean that God isn't working. It just means that there's something that is not God that's in the way right now. And God's given you the power to partner with him to handle that too. That is why when Jesus talks about power, he talks about obedience. You'll notice this in scripture when we're talking about God's power. You'll see where it's coupled with our obedience to partner with him. The spirit wills holiness in us as he moves power through us. If you live ignited with the spirit of God for five minutes, you will notice God is starting to change you. It's natural. This is a part of the deal, okay? And if you don't want to change, you will resist what God is doing, and it will feel like the power is going out. Disobedience is like a wet blanket on a bonfire. Really simple action step, 
If you want to get back in step with the Spirit, if you want a life that is flooded with the power of God, you have to stop sinning and keep obeying. Just try for that. Train for that every day of your life. In Acts, Peter is preaching to the crowd, and he says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, change and new life. They come together. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's all of us too. Later in a letter, Peter starts a letter like this. He says, To God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. They're always together. Repent. Receive the Spirit. Obey. Experience kingdom blessing. The words of God come with power to accomplish his will. They're always together, always on time. We don't strive. We abide. If you can't see evidence of the Spirit in your life today, it doesn't mean that God isn't working. It just means something that is not God is in the way right now. And it's not up to you to take care of it. God will help you. Okay. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that everybody hearing me today can relate to that, that every one of us experiences those interruptions in our lives, that God's power and presence are here but evil and sin corrupt the connection. So how do we get those things out of the way? That's the rest of this message. That's what we're going to talk about. Jesus prays to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Truth illuminates darkness and it makes things plain, right? When you turn the lights on in a dark room, nothing new happens. It's just that you can see stuff now, right? That's what light does. It exposes things we couldn't see before. Okay? Truth illuminates darkness. God's work exposes sin and evil, and it simultaneously brings the power to overcome it. They always come together. Obedience to that voice unlocks the padlock, and it breaks the chains, and it lets the power of God flow through you into the world. That makes you into a ghosty person. All right? When, when, we, when we practice again and again and again, training for this, every time we notice that there's a stop in our connection with God and we don't know where it comes from, but we are obedient to ask the Lord to reveal it. And then we follow through with the simple, tiny things that he asks us to do. That is how we get in step with the Spirit. It sanctifies us. It is good work. It's how we get ghosty. Now, Christians... We've always faced persecution in the world. Anytime and place, uh, there, there have always been pockets of the world where persecution exists. And for the early church, for the first 300 years or so that the church existed, that's all that they knew, okay? You might sometimes hear it called the patient ferment of the early church, okay? There was about a 300-year period where the church just gestated underground, okay? It was um, very dangerous, and illegal in many places to be a Jesus follower, okay? Now, I want to talk for a minute about some of the earliest liturgies that we have on record. If you read back into the catechisms of the early church, we find all of these emerging methods and practices that Christians formed as they followed Jesus together. 
Okay, the catechisms of the early church included directions for how to invite, include, initiate, and instruct people to know Jesus and obey what he says. Be disciples, okay? Now, catechisms, they're just sets of instructions for learning, okay? It's like Jesus' school, all right? And what you learn very quickly from this time period is that the focus was not at all on a moment of conversion, whether or not you've decided to uh, trust the Lord with your life, okay? The focus is much more on the conversion of your life. It's not a moment, it's a way, okay? Early discipleship did not interest itself in whether or not you believed in Jesus, but whether or not you lived like Jesus. Believe in who Jesus is and what that means for you would be inherent in the fact that you've decided to take up his yoke because Christians are haunted, it would be completely illogical to say that you believe in Jesus and you want to follow him and you want your life to change if you didn't really, really believe it was true because you were putting yourself in a very vulnerable position, your whole family into a very vulnerable position, okay? Faith wasn't an assent to doctrines or philosophies for the early Christians. It was a response to something that happened in history that is still something that we can experience today, Okay? People came to know Jesus and enter the family of God through the church in response to their experiences with Christians in the world. That's how it happened. All right? Conversion was the natural response to curiosity. People usually heard about Jesus after encountering him in his followers at work in the world. Okay? They would notice all of the counter-normative ways that Christians were living, and it would make them curious. And over time, they may eventually ask why. And over time, as that relationship grew, they may learn why, but it was all very, very slow, very under the surface. The church was underground, but Christians lived out of the power of God in the world, and people noticed, and the church grew. Much of what the church did was in secret. It's in homes. It's under the surface of society. Many barriers of entry were in place before believers were ever baptized and officially brought into the church, notably to protect people, of course, from persecution. So in other words, you could be a follower of the way for a couple of years or so before you meet more than one or two Christians. Okay, it could take a really long time. All right, in 200 A.D., in Rome, we already see the formation of a very, very well-defined set of orders for how the church functioned and grew. New converts were all adults, and they went through a very rigorous process of private teaching by an elder in the church before they were introduced to the wider church family and baptized. And then upon baptism, their whole family might be brought into the church as well. Okay, so you encounter Christians in your everyday life, you get curious, you pursue the church, you start to understand who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. And over time, you partner with a sponsor in the church, and that sponsor acts as a bridge between the candidate and these teachers in the church network. Okay, Church leaders wanted to know and have proof that the candidate was teachable and committed to following the way. Can they hear the word and then modify their behavior consistently again and again and again and again and again over months and months and months and months? Hear the word and change, really change in your actual life. Are they willing to live their way into a new kind of thinking and being? 
That's what it meant to be a Christian. And when the sponsor observes legitimate, lasting life change, the candidate is then ready to move on to prepare to get baptized. All right? Now, baptismal preparation is very involved. There's many steps. In the weeks leading up to your baptism, the candidate would hear the gospel. They call it hearing the word. It was a huge part of the baptism process. So that would mean that you would hear the word of God preached to you. You would get practical teaching so that you could understand it, and the church would perform repeated exorcisms. I'll circle back to that in a second. Hold on. And the final baptismal preparations could get made. And remember, this means changing everything for your entire household. If you're really in, you are in. It means something. Okay, it takes time. So back to the exorcisms, don't freak out. Exorcism, that word, it just means binding by oath. It's not good or bad. It just means binding by oath, okay? There can be holy oaths and things that are not, okay? In Rome, the church had hundreds of trained exorcists that were actually paid to do this as their job, to sit with these candidates for baptism and to speak the word over them so they could hear the word, And as the candidate would hear the word, they would begin to have all of these old way agreements come to the surface where the word sheds light on their life. And you encounter all the places where sin and evil and culture have had a hold on you and where the kingdom of Jesus is going to flip that over, okay? So they would hear the word, and these exorcists would speak it over them. And then as these old way agreements would come up, they would have a chance to break agreement with the old stuff and make agreement with the new stuff. Okay? It was very systematic. Okay? Hearing the word here, it implies receiving, doing, and changing. The word of God is the power of God to break strongholds and empower us to be holy. They really felt that. They experienced that. When the leaders all agreed that the candidate was ready, they would get baptized. And when you would get baptized, this is the liturgy that they would say over you. They would say, naked and vulnerable in the water, anointed with the oil of exorcism, you renounce Satan and choose the way of Jesus and belonging in the body of Christ. Sounds kind of intense. But that is very similar to what we still say today here at Table Church. When we baptize people, we say something very similar to that because that indeed is what it is. Okay? You think of Paul's words in Ephesians 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The words of God come with a power to cleanse you and ignite you. They come with power. And as I was writing this message, I I put the passage on the page. It's just an empty page. I put the passage from John 14 up there, and I was reading through it as I was going to start to write. And the Spirit just cut me open, and I just wept for like five minutes. Because I got to that verse, uh, verse 17, I believe it is, where it says, you're not an orphan. I've not left you as an orphan. I will be with you. And I caught myself in that moment completely by surprise. I, I caught myself realizing I had been you know, living for a day or two kind of feeling like this nagging feeling like I'd been forgotten by God. And I wasn't even conscious of it. But I just saw the word, and it just cut me in half. 
I needed to hear that. God didn't forget me. I'm not forgotten. I'm not an orphan. He's with me, all right? I caught myself needing something I wasn't aware of. God was happy to show me because I sat there and I was open to it. That was it. 